You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Currently, we are working our way through the book of Jeremiah. And last week, Robert Livingston did a great job of walking us through Jeremiah chapter 9. And it reminded us in Jeremiah chapter 9 that sin is to be lamented, that sin should break our hearts. We saw that sin breaks God's heart and his response to Israel's sin and idolatry and adultery towards him was that of broken heartedness. And that we should, in turn, respond to sin in the same way, lamenting to sin done to us, lamenting the sin that's done to others, and lamenting the sin that we do and that we commit against God and others. And we saw that this would lead us to a place of crying out for mercy and grace, which comes to us only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to pick up in Jeremiah chapter 10. So if you, want to have, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. It'll also be on the screen. And in our text this morning, Jeremiah is going to continue on this theme of idolatry. This is not the first time we've talked about this theme of idolatry. In fact, if you think back to chapter 2 of Jeremiah, we looked at uh, how Jeremiah describes two main sins that Israel committed against God that really sums up their idolatry. They had forsaken him. And then they created broken cisterns. Remember we talked about they'd hewn these cisterns for themselves and these cisterns could not hold water. Jeremiah has used imagery throughout these first few chapters to describe what it means for Israel to turn from, to forsake the true and living God and worship, give their heart to the idols of the surrounding culture. And so here we are again in chapter 10 on the theme of idolatry. And really in our chapter, kind of the unique angle he's going to add to this idea of idolatry is to show us the utter foolishness and danger of idolatry. The title of today's message is The Stupidity of Idolatry. Kids, your parents probably normally tell you don't say stupid. We can call idols stupid. That's one thing the scriptures do. So it's the stupidity of idolatry. And here's the main idea. When compared to the true and living God, idols and their gods are useless, stupid, and destructive. They promise a life they can never deliver. Let's pray and then we'll jump into Jeremiah 10. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as people who confess our hearts are prone towards idolatry. We're prone to wander away from the grace you provided and look to find life elsewhere. And I pray this morning that through this, the words of the prophet, that you would warn us against both the foolishness and the danger of giving our hearts to other lovers. Lord, would you remind us that we were made to find ourselves, to find our joy, our satisfaction, our hope in you and in you alone. You alone are the true and living God. Help us to confess and see that this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's jump into chapter 10, verse 1. We'll kind of work our way through the text. Starting in verse 1, it says, Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, 
Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. Stop here for a minute. The Lord is going to speak to Jeremiah. He's speaking through him, and he's giving a continual warning to Israel. And essentially, he's warning them here in these first few verses about adopting the religious practices of the foreign nations. That's what he means when he talks about the way of the nations. Or in verse 3, when he says the customs of the peoples, he's saying the religious practices, their idolatrous practices, do not adopt them. And he also warns them against being scared of kind of these uh, superstitious type uh, readings of the stars that, that, that these foreign cultures would have. You see, the Babylonians would look to the, the stars, the celestial phenomenon, as divine signs or omens to predict kind of what's going to happen in the world. It was kind of the, the stars and all the, all the things in nature. They would read the signs to see where's the world going and, and what's going to happen. Now, in our day, we tend to call this sort of behavior superstition, right? Or, or we, we can kind of look down upon it. But all of us have a little bit of this human uh, re religion in us, don't we? We have the superstition in us. I don't know if you were a kid like me, but I remember the phrase, you know, you step on a crack, you what? You break your mother's back. You heard that phrase? And how many of you, even though maybe you weren't superstitious, you kind of, just to be safe, like when you get that tile at elementary school, you didn't step on those cracks. Maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe that's part of my own issues. Um, but, but we have a little bit of this, right? You, you're going to plan your wedding, and, and you, you realize there's a, you want to do it on a Friday, and it's Friday the 13th, and you're like, well, you know, I don't believe, but gosh, I don't want to do it on Friday the 13th, right? And there can be these kind of cultural myths that are perpetuated, and, and what Jeremiah is saying is, hey, don't be scared at, at the way that the surrounding cultures are interpreting the stars and the signs, and, and they're looking really to creation to kind of tell what, where things are going to go. Like, don't buy into that mess. Don't believe it. Let's keep reading verse, verse 3. Second part of verse 3. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have, they have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Let's stop there for a minute. You know, sometimes when human creations, when things in creation, when we dress them up, when we kind of hype them up, when we kind of build a cultural myth around those things, they can look pretty impressive, can't they? Right? How many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? Right? You remember the, the wizard? You know, he's, he's pretty impressive for a while. He's got that bolstering voice. He's got that big image on the screen. I can't remember everything, but and the smoke, right? And then you get to the end of it. Spoiler alert, but you've had time to watch it. Um, spoiler <laughs> alert, the wizard is just a weak, frail old man, right? That's kind of the, the, the end of, of what we discover about the wizard. But idolatry works in this way. Sometimes the, the, the things of creation can get dressed up and hyped up to where we believe they're more than they are. And Jeremiah, what he's doing with the Israelites is, in a sense, he's starting to pull back the curtain on these idols that they were tempted to maybe fear, to give their loyalty to, to start maybe placating or sacrificing to. And he's pulling back the curtain. He's undressing these idols a bit, and he's saying, hey, guys, this idol 
It was just a tree. Like, literally, Johnny over there cut it down and, and he brought it to town, right? And then, and then they carved it up. It was, it was cut down and then decorated, right? Like Susie and Ginny, they put the clothes on it and they put the, the robes on it. They put the glitter on it. That idol you have there, it's just, it's just created. It's just a thing. It had to be nailed down so it wouldn't just fall over. It had to be fastened. It's like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Don't be afraid of it. Don't, don't let this created thing guide your steps. Don't let it direct your life. You see, Jeremiah is pulling back the curtain and saying, don't fear a stupid idol. They can't speak. They can't walk. They're crafted and carried by human hands. Now, it's important that we understand a little bit about what the ancient culture believed about idolatry and how that works. So I want to I read you just a common, a com what one commentator says about idolatry so we can understand the whole process a little bit more. But this is from uh, J.D. Hayes in his commentary on Jeremiah. He says, Idols played a central role in the polytheistic religions of Israel's neighbors throughout the ancient Near East. Within these regions, uh, religions, it was com commonly believed that the gods themselves initiated the construction of the idol. After the construction of the idol was completed, special rituals were carried out to transfer the god from the spiritual world to the physical world. The idol then functioned as a mediator of the divine presence. The idol mediated presence and revelation from the god to uh, and revelation from the god to the people and then likewise mediated worship from the people to the god. Now, there's a couple things that we learned here that are helpful for understanding what Jeremiah is saying. You see, first is we realize what Jeremiah is doing is he's challenging some of the cultural narratives that, that maybe these surrounding cultures had, that, that these idols that had been crafted were kind of divinely inspired idols, that they'd been inspired by the gods. He's saying, nope, that was just, it was human hands. It was human crafting that put all this together, right? The woodsmen cut it down, they dressed it up, they carried and, and, and sit, set it down where it's sitting, it's, it's a human creation. But secondarily, he's also saying something not just about the idols, but about the foreign gods in which these idols stood for. You see, as Hayes pointed out, these cultures, they didn't believe, like they weren't stupid. I mean, they were kind of stupid, but, but they weren't stupid in the sense that they thought these wooden, uh, dressed-up idols, they didn't think those were deities. They didn't think that was the god. Like, so if you ever thought that, that they, they weren't thinking that was the god. In fact, they believed that their God had led them to craft this idol, and so that when they put it in their temple or their place of worship, their priest, they could go through these rituals, and essentially it was calling out their God from, from the spiritual world to come and inhabit this pole or this, this place of where they would worship it. And so it begs the question, is Jeremiah seems to, to at least it seems the first to read, that, that they thought the gods were the idols. And, and, and so did Jeremiah, was he ignorant of their culture and he just misunderstood them? Or, or what was going on here? I think that Jeremiah would have been well aware of the ancient uh, practices of idolatry. And so what Jeremiah is doing is he's making a statement not only about the idols, the created little crafted things that they would worship, he's making a statement about the gods that they represent. And he's saying these so-called gods are no more than the dumb, powerless, empty idols that represent them. Let's keep reading in verse 6. 
he goes on to say, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all the kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instructions of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. You see, what Jeremiah is telling us is that in contrast to the true and living God, the God of Israel, these other gods are, are nothing. <laughs> They're as dumb as mute idols. The God of, of Israel is in a league of his own. The word Lord here, it, it's Adonai. And it means the sovereign one, the powerful one. It's, it's Elohim Adonai. It's, it's the powerful God. In contrast to the weak, mute, inept God idols that, the, that represent these other gods. You see, the universe moves forward not at the whims of the stars or reading into superstitious things of creation, but at the command of the Lord God. Fear Him, Jeremiah is saying. Obey Him. Organize your life around Him. There is none like the Lord God. He's the rightful ruler and creator of all that is. He has, a rhetoric, he has a question here that should be obvious, but he says, who would not fear him, this God? Unfortunately, at this time, we would say Israel, and, and we can also say us many times. And he's telling him that the creation, these things you've crafted that represent these so-called gods they, that you've elevated and let guide your life and, and been scared of or, or looked to for, for goodness, they're, they're really, if I could say it bluntly, they're a bunch of crap. They're stupid. It's foolish. It's man-made junk. This is, Jeremiah, the main thrust of this passage. In relation to the true and living God, the gods of the nations are like vain and empty idols. They are nothing compared to his might and majesty. They're not worthy to be praised. They are frauds. Now look at what he says in verse 11. Thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Jeremiah wants Israel to be clear that these gods who they've been giving their affections to, they've been giving their worship to, who they've been bowing before their idols, that they're perishing and their, their days are numbered just like these stupid idols that represent them. They cannot create. They cannot control. They're powerless. They're a construction of a human imagination and, and cultural uh, worship. And compared to the Lord God, they're nothing. Now, it is important to note, I want to say this, 
that often because we have kind of a Western flattened worldview, when we hear this and hear Jeremiah kind of uh, polemically addressing these idols, we can tend to think that, well, th th then there's nothing at all. It's, it's merely just human imagination. There's nothing going on in this idol worship, right? Maybe, you've, maybe we've oversimplified it in that direction. And in some ways, you can see Jeremiah is trying to say, in relation to the living God, these idols are, in fact, nothing at all. But it begs the question, it, so is, there, is it just our minds like making this up? Or is there something else going on in idolatry? Because the Bible does, after all, if we look at the whole testimony of Scripture, it doesn't have a flattened Western worldview. It has a worldview where there's a spiritual realm and where there is a material realm. If you didn't know that, we'll talk, we can come talk to me. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But there are spiritual things going on in the world. And so is, he, is Jeremiah saying there's nothing spiritual happening here? There's nothing behind it? No, he's not saying that, actually. He's saying the gods in relation to Yahweh and to the Lord Adonai are nothing. But... This is not to say that there are no forces of evil, no spiritual beings at work behind these idols. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, uh, just to jump to the New Testament, just a New Testament sampling of this, look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 20. He says, what do I imply then? He's talking about food sacrificed to idols. The food offered to idols is anything? Or is that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now I think it's clear that Jeremiah is saying these gods as human beings project them are fraudulent. They are not the mighty ones. They're not the God. They're not going to see over fertility. They're not going to oversee the crop. You know, all those things they claim to them were false. But this doesn't mean for us that there are no spiritual forces at work behind idolatrous practices. And ultimately, this leads us to see that idolatry is both foolish and dangerous. It seeks to find life in something that is lifeless and spiritually destructive. And the main takeaway is that we might see idols uh, is, is that we might see these idols and their gods for what they are. Dangerous frauds that all dressed up appear to offer us life, but only deliver to us death. Let's finish reading verses 12 through 15. Verse 12, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth from the wind his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. To sum it up, the living God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, calling Israel and all who would hear to turn from idolatry and worshiping of false gods to worship the true and living God. And in verse 15, we get one final description of these idols that sums it up. It says they are worthless, a work of delusion, and at the time of their punishment, they shall perish. 
Jeremiah is pulling back the curtain, showing them this is what's really going on. You want to see the reality? Here it is. I think when we talk about idolatry, sometimes we can be tempted as modern people to simply check the box and say, you know what? We don't, I don't believe in that little you know, wooden pole thing. That's dumb. You, know, even, you don't even have to be Christian to, nowadays to think that. We don't have a lot of neighbors who are around us who are like, hey, come on over. You know, bow to my little bale here. Right? Like, that would even be quickly on our radar. I'd be like, you know, like, get away from me. Like, that's weird. Don't even have to be Christian to think that's weird. But I think when we look at the deeper dynamics of idolatry, we can realize that we too are vulnerable to the delusion of idolatry. After all, we too have hearts that are sinful and wayward and craft and imagine gods for ourselves. After all, just as Paul mentioned, there are spiritual forces of evil at work in our world. And when they collide with our own desires and sinful waywardness, cultural, new, modern, dressed up idols are born. And reaching back into that ancient playbook, they take things from creation and they dress them up real nice. They, they create stories and myths around those things. They, they make them glitter as gold and, and, and hold them up to us and we, we, we are lured towards them or we're fearful of them. And it happens in a thousand ways in our day, in our time. They take things like pleasure, approval, control, happiness, safety, security, or they threaten us with payback, ridicule, condemnation, shame. And we're prone to bow. We're prone to come before these idols, to let them guide our lives and direct our steps and offer our ritual worship to them through our normal everyday habits, to sacrifice our time, talent, and treasure to give towards them. There's a proverb that I want to give you that I think gives us an image that helps us kind of take this ancient concept of idolatry and, and kind of see how it works out in our present a little bit more because it gets at the heart of what's going on in, in idolatry. It's Proverbs chapter 5. I'll read it for us and then talk a little bit about it. The proverb says this, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. You see, you see the glitter? You see the dressing up of this woman? You see the, the narrative building in this young man's mind, the allure of, of this, of her sensuality? But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow a path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Oh, now, O oh sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take your fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. 
And at the end of your life, you groan. And when your flesh and body are consumed, you say, how I hated discipline and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers and incline my ear or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. See, here in this proverb, the very literal sense of what he's writing is, is certainly about sexual adultery and the allure of this prostitute that's kind of calling out in the streets. There's other proverbs that talk about this as well. But I don't think this is just addressing one particular way of idolatry. I think this proverb can give us an image that helps us, uh, that transcends just this instance to show us how idolatry can be at work all around us all the time. There's a dressing up. There's a, there's, a, there's a masquerading, something in creation that begins to allure us. It begins to, to, to call out for our affections. It begins to look beautiful to us or it begins to look satisfying to us. And our heart's waywardness is prone to this. And there's spiritual forces that are, that are kind of elevating this and calling us into it. And what, what the proverb is saying, it's going to look like honey and it's going to look sweet and smooth. But once you give yourself over to it, it's going to drag you down to the pits of hell. That what looks beautiful is not only foolish, but it's spiritually dangerous. If you want to see this played out in our world, there's, there's many different ways, but one of the saddest is see people in addiction who are addicted to substances that seem to offer a quick fix to solution of peace or escape, and then people become pulled down and enslaved to these things. It's not only foolish, it's dangerous. This is the nature of idolatry. And this story tells us this in regards to lust, but there are a variety of ways this can happen. It can happen when a certain political power rises up or a certain political agenda happens and we long for security and safety and so we, it's all shiny and it's advertised and it's marketed and we buy into it and we give it our heart and it begins to destroy our relationships and our, with our children and our kids and, and before we know it, we are in ruin. Or maybe it's when we see certain identities that are held out to us on social media or by the culture. They're dressed up really nice and they look like maybe that would, maybe I would be someone if I just embraced this sexuality or this, this success or this or that. I could be someone in, in our vulnerable hearts that want to be loved and belonged are lured in by something that promises us life and ultimately it pulls us down to the grave. It leaves us empty and ashamed. It happens when we long for respect and honor and we want to prove that we are someone, but rather than receiving what God has given us, we sacrifice being present with our family to tirelessly pursue the success we think we need. And see, all of these aspects of idolatry involve us looking at something that's alluring, it's playing on our vulnerabilities, we like it, it looks beautiful, and then what happens is we start creating habits of worship towards that thing, then we offer our sacrifice of our time, talent, and treasure. And before we know it, our hearts are given to something other than God. And Jeremiah is saying, it's stupid and it's dangerous. I think sometimes we, we can, maybe if we just think it's stupid, we can be okay with our idolatry a little bit. But the scriptures also testify that it's dangerous. You see, I think at God's heart in Jeremiah, 
there's some hard things that he's going to send upon Israel. Even in the rest of chapter 10, there's some hard things, some judgments. There's exile. They're going to have to leave their homes. They're going to have foreign people take over their land and mistreat them. But at the heart of God calling this down and, and, and letting them kind of taste that is his desire that they would not perish. Don't you know that's the Father's heart? That none should perish, but that all should come to know life. All should live. This is the danger and the foolishness of idolatry. And our good Father does not want us to perish. And he's pleading through the prophet so we might turn to him and choose life. And often the problem with idolatry and the challenge is, is, is yet we don't see it. Or we become so hooked and addicted to it, we just can't imagine our life without it. That's really when you know you, you've, you've, you've kind of been reeled in is when you can't imagine living apart from that thing. You've bought such a narrative. You, you've bought such the hype on this thing that you can't imagine your existence apart from it. And oftentimes, we in ourselves become trapped. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that you, you can't get out of it? You're stuck. You're, you're, you're kind of like the addict. You're just in your same cycles. Well, there is good news for us. As the prophet is crying out, ultimately God would bring us good news. You see, the true and living God is not a human construct, nor is he created or imagined. And he has the power and the will to rescue us from our idolatry. The Gospel of John begins with the phrase, the word became flesh and he entered our world. The true image, not an idol, but the exact representation of his nature came down to us. Not because we, we did some religious practices or deeds and we conjured him up to our whims, but by the gracious will of God. And he was not mute, nor was he dressed up. In fact, he did not appear appealing to the eyes. And he came among us teaching and speaking the very words of God. And he was lifted up and fashioned on wooden poles of the cross, bearing our sin and shame. And what happens is that when we look upon him and we start to see the beauty of Jesus lifted up, like Moses when he raised the serpent in the wilderness and Israel looked upon it and they were healed, when we look upon Jesus on the cross, the scales come from our eyes, the idols are unmasked, we see them for the foolish danger they are, and we say, we want him. He's no fraud. He's no substitute. He's the substance. And this morning we're here worshiping, going through these simple practices and habits guided by God's word because we know our hearts are wayward and we want to again be pointed towards him. And I think, I want to close this morning by this. I think there are some of us, many of us, maybe Christians whose hearts have been captured by idols, and you know, you know it's not, there's no life there. And yet this morning, you need the Spirit of God to come and free you. 
You need the Spirit of God to come and lift your eyes from this thing you think you cannot live without and to see Christ crucified, lifted up on the cross, to see that he didn't say dead, but he raised, and now this morning he's seated with all power and authority, and he wants you not to be taken with idols, but to be taken with him. There's some of you this morning that that need that, and I think the Father wants to give you that. Maybe there's some of you this morning that, that aren't even believers and you've just, you, you've just lived so in chains and you've never experienced a liberating power of God in your life. Jesus says to anyone who would look upon him and believe in him, he would give the right to become a son or daughter of God. And so this morning, I think the call for you is to simply quit looking to these crafted frauds Quit looking to the gods of culture, the, the spiritual evil that is around us, and look to the living God and Christ, and he would receive you if you believe upon him. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.